Welcome to Troubleshooting Agile, a regular problem-solving session for Agile teams. Well, hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. How you doing? I'm doing great. So this week, we're having a look at principle number 11. The best architectures, requirements, and designs emerge from self-organizing teams. Well, it seems most obvious to start by asking, what is self-organizing? Well, I I think there are a lot of questions around that, and is the obvious place to start. But I think it's better if we actually start with, what are teams? Uh, I think that a lot of people have an intuitive idea what they mean by a team, but it's not a very useful one. And I've come up with one that I use uh, with teams and with non-teams to help them understand the difference. And I think for me, the, the key element is a team or a group of people who share a problem. If you share a problem, then you're on the same team. And if you don't, then you're not. And uh, that ends up being very helpful for uh, driving the dynamics that people should have between one another. If um, Sometimes you'll have people say, oh, yeah, we're all on the same team because we all have the same manager. And the HR says we're on a team. But they don't actually have any work in common. They're not trying to solve the same problems. And uh, I think so that's fine. They can be colleagues. They can have similar skills and relate to one another. And that might have helpful relationships. But they're, they're not actually a team. The team are the people that you're trying to solve problems with. And what would be an example of a problem? Uh, well, typically it'll be something along, in, in our domain here of software, you're usually saying, well, we're, we're trying to ship this product on this time. We're, we, you know, we're, we're trying to solve this problem for our clients. Uh, we, uh, we want to um, get the MVP done. Uh, we don't want the, the demo done before uh, the, the big marketing uh, launch uh, at the conference. Um, something like that, where you've you've organized down. At best cases, uh, when you, you have a very clear idea of what the client problem is that you're trying to solve, our users have this problem, and we are jointly trying to align around that problem and and solve it the best we can. Well, I like your example of the marketing launch. I had a client with a situation like that where they had a hard deadline from the marketing team because they were holding a huge party for 200 people to launch the new thing, kind of had to have the new thing ready. But in that case, I think you'd be saying then that the marketing team is part of our team, that somebody who's organizing that party and buying the balloons is someone we should be working with closely. Oh, well, I think you're definitely you're definitely part of the team. You, you are on a team with the marketing people. And in my experience, that's very helpful because if you're on now on the same team and you have the shared problem, how do we make sure we have a successful launch? How do we make sure the demo has what it needs? You can make different trade-offs. Uh, you can say, well, is this something where everything needs to work or is this just a, a, a demo on stage? Are you going to be able to stick to a certain script? Can we make a certain path through the, the product work and make that stable and ignore some other features that aren't going to be demoed? And in that way, trim down the problem, therefore giving you a higher chance of success. And, and in my example, we had exactly that where the uh, marketing folks, once we got them in the room and talking to them, we discovered that the sales cycle was going to be six months after the party and therefore the documentation didn't have to be ready. There's just the demo on the stage. Brilliant, exactly. And that's so. That's really shows you that that uh, when you when you redefine your sense of team to be everyone with a shared problem, you can get very different solutions, much better solutions. Uh, in this case, it's a good example of better requirements. There was no requirement for the documentation at the marketing lunch. Great. So I'll bring us back to the same question, though. So now that we understand what a team is, what is a self-organizing team? Okay, so uh, I think self-organizing then for me has to do with a, a 
question of statics versus dynamics. And what I mean by that is statics are the things you can write down. It's the things like your functional area, your reporting lines. It's the things that people often re refer to when they talk about what team they're on. Oh, I'm on, uh, I'm, I'm on the development team or uh, I'm on the design team. I'm, uh, I'm on the product team. Uh, but, but if you look back at what I just said is our definition of teams, you're like your product team is almost never a team. You have different product managers working on different products. They don't actually share problems day to day. Their problems are with their cross-functional teams. And uh, so the, the statics uh, definition of teams can be misleading. So uh, instead, we need to organize around dynamics. And the dynamics are all the forces in, at play. They're all the sort of things that are pushing and pulling you different directions. There's the needs of the clients. There's, there's, there's things about the code base. There's affordance in the code base that makes certain things easier or harder. Uh, there's the skills of the team members. There's there's the people on the team. That that's really important. That the because the preferences and the skills and proclivities of those people are really an important part of the dynamics. At uh, at Tim for a while, people were very became much more aware of this, and they said every time we add a person to the team, it's a new team, and for that meant that we need to do a certain amount of uh, check in and realignment uh, uh, of the team because if you you're not the same team. You have different dynamics when you bring different people in. And it's these dynamics that really should be shaping how we organize ourselves around the problem. And, and I think that's what it means to have self-organization is, is all the team members then are, are bringing these different people, things together. They're all their different skills and information and, and discussing all the different dynamics at play to then come up with the, the best uh, solutions that they can together. Makes sense. And that leads us very naturally into this question of uh, that we had when we were discussing it before. Why is this such a very specific principle? So it has architectures, requirements, and designs. Our previous principles about simplicity just said simplicity is essential. Whereas this one says very precisely, get architecture, requirements, and designs from self-organizing teams. Why is that? How's that linked to cross-functionality? Well, this is, a, this is an interesting point because you and you, I think you were you were saying that it was kind of strange. You expected something much, much more succinct in the principle, something just simply like uh, we, we get the, the, the best results from self-organizing teams. Sure. That, that kind of fits with the other principles. Right. But I, I think this goes back to context. This is where if, when I recall uh, when this was being written, what the context was is that you had these separate functional teams and not only were they separate uh, by discipline, but they were separate in time and space. They didn't work together. I mean, back to the enemy we've talked about a few times in previous podcasts, which is this very phased uh, approach where there'd be the, the the requirements phase and the design phase and the architecture phase. These were all separate teams working at different times um, with, with very poor communication between them. And I, if we look at the idea of the Agile Manifesto as being a sort of marketing document out to all the um, powers that be saying you should do things differently. What they're saying here is all these things, you've, you've had an architecture team creating architectures and you had a requirements team, you had these business analysts creating requirements and you had the, you know, a, a development team creating designs all separately. You're, you're going to have to, you're going to get better results from all of these people if you bring them together and, and help them self-organize so they can work together and not have these expensive hand you know, uh, document-based handoffs, and you can have much shorter handoffs if you're all sitting around the table uh, uh, talking together. And working on a shared problem. I, exactly right. There we go. Well, I, I have a particular axe to grind in this area because you were just referring to 
this as an ancient event, right? So this is a, a way that we used to work. And years ago, we had this phased approach. Thank heavens that we've moved on. Uh, well, yes, I claim absolutely. that we haven't. I claim we haven't moved on at all, because we've done this absolutely <laughs> terrible thing to ourselves. Uh, and I remember back when I was first writing software. Back in my day, kids get off my lawn. I'm now in in rant mode, so you have to stop me, Jeffrey, when I get going too far. But <laughs> I remember when I used to write software that people used, and all I did as a developer was create the the bits that went into the software. And I did not have this huge distinction between the front-end developers and the back-end developers. I wrote HTML and put some JavaScript in it, and then I wrote some Java code, and the HTML talked to the, the, the JavaScript talked to the back-end in my Java code, and uh, I was off to the races. And we've somehow created this massive distinction, that, and I think we're recreating some of the phased approach. I see this over and over again in my startup clients, that they'll have a front-end team and a back-end team. And I was just in a planning meeting earlier this week. Somebody said, well, we're going to finish our bit. Not sure where the back-end people are. They weren't <laughs> in the room. They weren't helping us draw the, the diagrams. They weren't helping us do any of it. And so we were just back in the same, I, I felt like it was 2000 again, back in the phased mode. So I really, really wish we would get to a stage where developers could work throughout the application and cooperate more effectively. Rant over. <laughs> well, it's a great rant. And I think we, let's come back and, and, and talk about it tested for just a second, because, you know, if those people have been in the room, it's not like you necessarily say people need to write all the code everywhere. But your point, I think what strikes to me about your example anyway, is they weren't even in the room. Correct. And, and, and so how is that going to work? <laughs> and the difficulty here was that they weren't willing to be in the room. So the, the environment was, is one where I'm trying to change that and I'm helping this company get to a different model. But the current model is, uh, well, where I'm in the back end. I, I don't talk to front end. I don't understand JavaScript. Nope, that's, that's not my world. I, I do something else. And um, that's not the most helpful model, as yeah. I just ranted about. And I, I, I think you're right. And if we come back to this point about shared problem, these are people who clearly don't believe that they have a shared problem. And and what I think, what I've seen over and over again, when you have teams that separate it, it, on whatever fault line, and they think, well, you know, our our stuff is fine, <laughs> we're okay. Uh, it's, the problem is those people over there. You know, they're not hitting their deadlines. We're we're, we're good. It just reminded me of the thing about the the people uh, saying, well, you know, the holes on their side of the boat. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a really good one. So I'm going to use that one with them this week. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> okay, so there you go. That's that one's free. But that's just one like challenge that you've seen where where even this idea of like what's a team that, that you can see that people are tripping up over over that they're not they're not aligning what we are uh, what I would propose is a useful definition of a team. They're they're saying they're somewhere else. But I think you and, and this is very a good transition for us from this idea of what we say people should be doing to the, the challenge of actually trying to get there. And and you've told me you see several different types of implementation challenges. I thought it'd be helpful if you shared with our listeners uh, some of the challenges you see. So wh where would you like to start? Sure. Well, uh, I'd like to start with this great quote from Alistair Coburn, one of our, our friends and listeners, I think, um, where he says that uh, a, a koan, a, a little story from, from Zen Buddhism about agile teams goes like this. The management tells the team to mutiny. The team refuses. And that's the whole story. So yes. <laughs> uh, uh, you can get problems on both sides of that. So you can wind up with a situation where you really like to mutiny. Now, this is different to the story, but 
there's lots of organizational impediments that you think you have to doing so. And uh, you and I were trying to think before of the kind of extreme example of this, which I've at least seen in, in some banks somewhere, um, where you have, a, a, say, a development team that's supposed to be building some software, and literally across the world in a completely different country, not even known to the people doing the development is the QA team. And so they write their code all day and they ship it over to the QA people and they come back in in the morning and they have a list of bugs and they don't know the names, the telephone numbers, even who the people are who are doing this quality assurance activity. Well, that's kind of the antithesis of the shared problem cross-functional team structure we've been describing. And you might think to yourself, this is insuperable. There's there's nothing I can do about this. I, I can't even phone them. I can't even find them. I can't get them in the same room. They're in a different country. What could I do? But the go ahead. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think it's, what what do you do? You've been you think well, I'd like to self organize, uh, and 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 help us figure out a solution. But how can I possibly do it? I don't know these people. <laughs> exactly, I don't. I can't even find them. Uh, so how do I do it? And the interesting thing that that uh, you pointed out when we were talking about it, and that I find as well, is that often when you dig into this situation, the barriers are actually more in your head and you haven't actually tested them. So if you go to in this extreme example, ha have you tried looking them up in the company directory? Have you tried asking your manager? Have you tried asking HR? Have you tried responding to a bug by saying, by the way, can I phone you about this? There are various things that you could try, which would allow you to kind of test the walls. Say, am I actually in a cage? If I actually push on this wall over here, will it fall over? And the common situation is one in which the environment is one that doesn't encourage you to do that. And therefore, you never actually test the hypothesis that you can't self-organize. Now, it may in fact be true. It may be that five years ago, there was uh, an environment in which you somebody cooperated more closely with the people in the faraway country, and that turned out terribly in that other situation. But that may not be your current situation. So testing it and uh, addressing the shared problem could be very helpful in uh, getting to uh, getting others to at least help you to test. Would it be possible for me to phone these guys? Can I get a plane ticket to faraway country? W is that something I could do? You can verify this. You can test the hypothesis, and often people haven't. I, I completely agree with you, and I know you've been in sessions uh, at KitCon where I've people have expressed frustration. I've asked them these kind of questions, and they kind of have an aha moment where they think, no, actually, it never occurred to me to ask. They just took it as written that they weren't allowed to do it. But we did also talk about this scenario where you might suspect that you're not allowed to talk to this other group, this other people, and then when you go and actually try to talk to them through your manager or the manager far away, you're in fact told, no, we, we, don't, we, we, don't, we, we, we don't want you talking to these people. And it leads to this interesting uh, observation we had, which is maybe you're not on the same team as the manager. You're, you're not trying to solve the same problem. And, and that would be a useful thing to verify and find out about, because you might find out actually that the manager is on the same team, or you might find out that he or she is not. But often people haven't tested so uh, if you're looking for a way to overcome this impediment, my first suggestion would be go out and test it. Find out. You can ask a lot of questions. You might uh, feel uncomfortable doing that, but the outcome could be quite positive. You could find out that there's actually less organizational uh, resistance than you think there is. The, the, the one tip that we give people is when you do it, make sure you're clear about what the problem is, that you're focusing on the problem. It's not your right to talk to people in, in the faraway country. It's we have this problem on the project we're trying to solve for clients. And 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 that becomes the, the, the point of interest because people may have not see any value in you talking 
across time zones, but they, uh, sh if they're on your same team, they will care about the, the, the actual problem that you're trying to line around. And you can find out whether they're open to other solutions and they may have a different solution in mind. Well, hey, actually, you know, that team comes for a summit once a year and the summit is next week. So <laughs> if you just went over to our second office, you could meet them. That's that would be an option for solving the problem that you might not know about, which you could find out again if you test. Which, which is amazing. You can learn things from your team members when you realize that you are on the same team and you talk to them about your problems. No matter how organizationally distant they may seem. That's right. Okay, so that that's the first uh, challenge is people feel like they're impediments, that they're not allowed to self-organize, uh, and uh, which means self-organization means mutiny. So what about mm -hmm. the second problem? So you you get past that. You, you, you don't have uh, impediments. In fact, maybe you're being told you know, in fact, like the Cohen, <laughs> we're yep. asking you to self-organize, we're asking you to mutiny. Then what? Indeed. So the, the problem there is that uh, the team might refuse to mutiny. So this is the, the other way around. This is the one that Alistair was precisely talking about, where uh, a manager of a team or a, somebody who's uh, you know, giving direction or encouragement to a team to self-organize, to see themselves as a team, to work cross-functionally, does so, and then they refuse so I've got a client where this is going on to some degree. We'll talk about them uh, a, a bit. They um, uh, they they want to work in this way, but the, the the management want to work in this way. They want to see the outer at the outside evidence that this is happening of stand ups and cross functional work and and other sorts of things, and they're not seeing it because the team is not finding that um, uh, as as comfortable for them. And the natural thing is you want to work the way that you feel comfortable working. And you also, as the manager, don't want to get in and micromanage. That would be the opposite of the whole self-organizing principle. You would you want the team to solve the problems. So there's not enough time in this podcast to go into it in detail. Luckily, a very friendly guy and very smart guy named Bungay wrote a fantastic book on how to solve this kind of problem called The Art of Action. The link will be in the show notes. The, the great thing about Bungay is he combines being a management consultant with being a military historian. So he has all kinds of lessons learned from the Prussian military of all bizarre places to get your management ideas. But it turns out that they have this whole notion of directed opportunism, which allows you to give direction to a team without dictating the solutions. So uh, the idea is that you give a briefing that says what you are allowed to do, where your freedoms are and where your constraints are. And surprisingly that, well, not too surprisingly, that turns out to give the team enough direction without uh, dictating a solution. So that's one way to uh, adopting the Bungay briefing uh, directed opportunism model is one way to encourage a team in the direction of mutiny without telling them how to. Okay. You, you, you basically, you turn it over and say, oh, this is your problem. <laughs> Tell us how you're going to solve it. And you, you have to keep avoiding solving it for them or, uh, and you have to give them constraints that keep them headed in the direction that's helpful to you. So they're focused on the shared problem. Right. I think that's a, that's a, uh, I know that that issue of constraints is an interesting one that leads into another problem you told me about, <laughs> which is you, people might be willing to self-organize, um, but then you can go wrong in other ways. <laughs> Yep. So my, my favorite there is that you forget what the shared problem was. So I had a different client where they uh, said, well, gosh, what we really need is self-organization. We need to be much more creative. We just raised lots of money. We need to spend that money in creative and in, in uh, clever ways in order to improve our business. So everybody get into your teams, head off. Uh, they called them squads. Get into your squads, head off and uh, uh, do creative, amazing, wonderful things. 
That's what they great. forgot. It does. <laughs> yeah, super uh, perfectly in line with the principle, except that they forgot to define the shared problem that these different squads would be solving. And they forgot to provide any accountability or alignment methods to kind of keep them working along on the same shared problem. So in several cases, the teams went off and built amazing super duper things that solved a problem they thought was important and no one else could use them. Uh, one marketing right. team built an incredible tool for using Facebook in the most efficient way you've ever seen. It even crashed Facebook servers, and they uh, it was so efficient and so so speedy and, and made so many requests. It turned out it didn't make any more money for the company, didn't help them with their marketing. Mm. So right. it's easy to, uh, if you uh, miss, th- miss out the step where you check alignment and check on the shared problem to, to get uh, great uh, great looking results that don't actually address the business problems. And, and and so that's it's really interesting because because you 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 had people who were uh, excited about self organization they were uh, encouraged to do it and then they were uh, uh, embraced it but uh, but they lacked the briefing that you just mentioned and and therefore mm-hmm. that lack of alignment uh, did... and, and the back briefing which comes back this is another part of Bungay's theory is that you give a back briefing that says here's here's how I'm going to be accomplishing the goal so you can check that you are actually aligned with whoever's giving you the briefing. Right, and so so then we have this uh, this issue. Then we've 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 picked up this model uh, uh, off the shelf that we thought would work. Everyone's excited about it, um, but it but it fails. And I think you and I were saying this is probably just uh, symptomatic of a of a broader uh, problem, which is a a, a failure uh, to adopt self organization from the problems and from where you are today. Yes. It, what you can do, and this is what these folks have done, is try to grab somebody else's model that's worked for them, and you say, great, we'll just do what they did, and it'll work. And that kind of defeats the purpose of self-organization. The idea is that, as you were saying before, it takes into account the dynamics and the people in your situation and the specific shared problem that you have. In their case, they picked up a uh, model that I'm seeing more and more people use and misuse quite a lot, the the Spotify model, which if you go read about it, isn't actually a single model and Spotify don't use it. So (laughs) the way they've documented it. So it's not quite a off the shelf solution, but people sort of seem to think it is. That, that, and, that's a good point. That Spotify that they said when they published it, like this was sort of that they was a they were evolving, and by the time that they documented, they were moving on. <laughs> but the, the the easy thing to do, and I have every empathy for why people would do this, but please don't, listeners, tell everybody not to do this. The easy thing to do is to just pick up something and do exactly what someone else did. That that doesn't require as much thinking, doesn't require as much investment, but it con- concomitantly doesn't give you as a good a result. This was one example. This, I think this fits with something we've talked before about something with other off-the-shelf models, such as even Scrum, where people end up focusing on the structure uh, uh, of what they're doing and, and, and not the problem. Yeah, well, it says right here on page 79, Jeffrey, that we're supposed to have the retrospective every two weeks. And so we're having the retrospective every two weeks. The fact that we had a big outage yesterday doesn't matter. It's not been two weeks yet. So what we need to do is what it says on page 79. <laughs> and the problem is that then you're getting an outcome that matches what's on page 79, but it's completely ignoring your dynamics. It's completely ignoring the situation that you're actually in where, gee, a retrospective about why our system was down all day yesterday would be real helpful to make sure it's not down tomorrow. So, so there's probably a uh, something that should go along with this, which is that uh, uh, self-organized teams probably can't be successful if they simply uh, uh, adopt an off-the-shelf pattern because it's worked somewhere else. And, I, and you had a nice extreme example uh, uh, from GE 
that uh, is, is, I think is worth sharing is. Sure. Well, this is one that you could pick up off the shelf. So this is, I, I want to share it, but I want to warn everyone not to go do it because it works in their situation and not yours. It may inspire you, but uh, please don't just implement it off the shelf. This is the Durham, North Carolina GE engine facility. We'll have a link to an article about them in the show notes. They have 170 direct reports in a single manager. So the entire factory is managed by one person who has 170 people. Um, it, that's bigger than Dunbar's number. So I'm not sure that person can even <laughs> remember all the names of uh, all the people in that group. But the uh, purpose is the, the way they must do this, of course, and you can read the article to see exactly how the, the way they must be doing this is through lots of self-organization, lots of cross-functional cooperation, and uh, not much direction. So the briefing is going to be very broad, and the team of 170, but really much smaller teams uh, based around shared problems, are going to go and solve those. And, and but and, and I think the, the the point here is that so if I read this and think that's great I'm I, I think the solution now is I'm going to go take all the 170 engineers we have and just all report to me it worked at G don't do that <laughs> <laughs> oh no that's that's not what we should do uh, I, and, and instead I think you you brought up a, a key point which is we 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 have been are kind of stuck then if we want to adopt self organization we we we. We think we could do things better. We want to organize around the problem. Uh, we know it's been successful other places, and the question is, how do we get there from where we are today? What? what how do we? How do we move forward on that scroll? So um, it seems to me that that's a very nice lead into our uh, our next principle, which is reflection and retrospectives. So we're going to be talking about that next time. And that's really the antidote to this off the shelf solution. So what the, for example, the, the company that took the Spotify model, quote unquote, and used it didn't have a practice of regularly re reflecting on whether what they were doing was helpful. If they had done that, they would have said, gee, we sure seem to be headed off in a lot of different directions. Is this really where we should be going? And that would have helped them to correct so, and to take the model they were using and uh, adjust it to their dynamics and their specific situation. So I think probably paying attention to Principle 12 in next week's podcast would be one particular way to do that. Well, that sounds fantastic. And I really look forward to talking to you about it. Cool. I should mention that uh, we always like it when people like and subscribe, give us iTunes reviews and other fantastic stuff like this. Jeffrey, you briefly mentioned KitCon, which I guess we should give a, a really brief shout out to. That's the uh, Continuous Integration and Testing Conference. It's in mid-April in Vienna this year. I believe there are still places available. Is that true? There, there's a few, a very limited number. I think we're down to something like 10 spots left. So uh, Act now. <laughs> act Sign now, up exactly. immediately. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, if you just search for KitCon, C-I-T-C-O-N, you will find it. And uh, you can join us in Vienna where we will be recording some podcast episodes. Yep, absolutely. Uh, of course, you and I are not going to wait that long because I'll be talking to you uh, again next week. Next week on Principle 12, Reflection and Retrospectives. Talk to you then. All right. See you then, school. Take care.